Good evening, everyone. Uh, great to see you. I am still here, uh, the other side of this computer screen, and you are still wherever you are. We're watching it on your phone, or on your tablet, or on your device, or whatever. And and we're still not at church. And the world, uh, the world out there, is still a bit topsy turvy, isn't it? It's still, it's still working stuff out. It's still a bit upside down. There are still there are still racial tensions everywhere. There are still um, there are still big games being played by political leaders. There's still real tensions. There's still real tensions about about even what we wear as we walk down the street, how close we go to people. I'm trying to work out every day where we should stand in which shop. Um, so much. We've got so much on our plates right now. One of the things that we've been thinking through these last couple of weeks uh, one of the things that we've trying we've been trying to suggest to you from a, like a christian perspective is that underneath all, all of this underneath all of all of life events underneath all of the daily grind all, all of the circumstances that come our way um, there is in all of this a, a spiritual storyline playing out at the same time and even on the surface of it, it's it's racial tensions and it's and it's struggles and it's should I or shouldn't I wear a mask and am I getting depressed at the end of lockdown? In all of this, um, one of the things I would suggest you get to think about if if you're not if you're not Christian, challenge challenge you with is that this is this is all a wrestling match that's connected to a God in heaven and it's all playing out. Uh, and over the last couple of weeks, we've 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 stalled a little bit and seen some of the ways in which th- this this plays out in the reality of our lives. So a couple, uh, two weeks ago, chapter ten. If you if you've got a Bible in front of you, you'd flick back over the page, but you don't have to do that. It, we thought about the idea that's that it's possible for us to have such a fixed mind. There was a word in the chapter, strongholds. It's possible to have such a fixed mind that that you were never going to see God. There's such a strong narrative from the world that you'd have to break through to, to, to see God. And this idea that every thought, every thought in your head um, counted in terms of your spiritual journey, fi- you know, finding God. And last week, um, the start of this chapter, uh, Paul talked about the idea that we live in a world that has like a million, I'm going to use the cheesy inverted commas, a million truths. There's so many different stories out there about about what life's all about, about what's really going on. And the journey for the Christian is to, not journey for the Christian, the journey for us as people is to find out which one's true, what's true. This week, I want us to think about another another area that I think that that battle plays out and it's in, it's in our head again and it's, and it's our ego. This idea that we have to demonstrate strength uh, to ourselves and to others. The, 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 there is nothing, I don't think, in the world more rigid, more strong uh, than somebody who's, whose ego is massaged and exercised. And we live in a world that's become specialist in doing, in doing this. this. This is the world that we live in. Our, our egos are massaged every time we put on a 
technical device. And we need to massage our egos ourselves every time that we present ourselves to the world. We have to we have to blow ourselves up. We have to push ourselves forward. We have to sell ourselves if we want the job, if we want to keep the job, if we want to be popular, all that sort of stuff. Our world is really shaped by, by us needing to demonstrate that we are strong. And all, and all the time, sort of puffing up our own egos. It's just kind of the, the way that the world goes. And it is a huge, it is a hugely significant motivator for us, our pride and our ego. Do you know that when it, you, you feel that when it kicks in and you think, I want this. It's a huge shaper and a huge motivator for us, and and often like awesome, often really good. And we see loads of times because of because of this the way that we operate, because of because of our egos uh, when they kick in, we see often people really prospering because because of the ego kicks in because we um, because we recognise that we need to show strength and demonstrate strength. You know, to ourselves and to other people, then we, then then people prosper, and we can think about loads of characters that exist in the world that get to where they are. Not least our good friend Mr. Trump across the sea, just because he's such a good example of this kind of way of life, and it's shocking that we always go to him because, in lots of ways, he represents many of us um, that that we that we that we prosper because we sell ourselves equally in this world that is. Or in societies that are, you know, egocentric, people, and this has become really, uh, I've become really aware of this. I think in in lockdown more than anything else, people break to uh, the pressure to constantly present yourself as successful, or to constantly fill the the um, the space in 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 our heads that gets bigger and bigger and bigger as as our egos are massaged, is ex is exhausting. I feel like I keep seeing people around who are just sort of melting under the pressure of needing to of needing to keep up with the Joneses, of needing to look awesome, of needing to have have the job, of needing to you know fight in that strength way. It's exhausting for people. It's not just exhausting. I think as well, it's it can be ruinous. Um, one of the one of the wisdoms of the Bible. I would say that pride comes before a fall. And one of the wisdoms of your mother would be that your head gets so big you can't get through the door. I'm sure you've heard that expression or both of those expressions uh, around in time. It's this sense that our egos, because you know, because of the world that we live in, and this is really my issue, I'm a proud man. This is the way that the world spins around. Our, our, our heads get so big. Uh, that we that we can't function, that that we that we struggle to see ourselves as we really are, that we struggle to see other people, and the idea behind these two little sayings that our heads get so big we can't get through the door, and pride comes before a fall, is that actually um, what should be strength to us actually becomes an obstacle for us. The other thing that happens, I would say, is that we. As we as we live in worlds that worlds we live in our world we live in a world that that pushes us down this this road so so strongly so clearly uh, that we miss God. I don't know if you've ever thought about um, that being a reason that you might not have experienced God. Maybe 
maybe if you're watching in onto this, you're not a Christian and you're, you're thinking, I'm expecting the, the journey to faith to be something like um, a bit of a revelation in my head or, you know, a, a dream or something logically clicking into place. I think, I think all of that, you know, I think all of that could happen. But one of the, one of the, one of the things the Bible keeps repeating is that in order to see God, to really experience God, uh, we need to realize how, how small we are. The Bible would tell us over and over again that the humble person is the person that sees God and the proud person is the person that might just miss him. In, in Corinth, um, the part of the letter that we've reached, uh, we see some of that stuff playing out. Paul has planted this church. Now, I don't, you know, what is that thing that we say? There's no such thing as the perfect church. Paul has planted this church. And from what I can see of Paul's storyline, because of the way he was saved, because of the way he was changed, you know, this terrible, shocking dude who walks into God Almighty and sees all of the horror of his own self. Um, and then the way that he goes on to preach every sentence that Paul uh, utters in terms of sermon is soaked with, it's only Jesus, it's only Jesus. This church is is at origin, this lovely, beautiful, grace-soaked church. And, and, and he plants that and then he goes away and into that church, so this was the story t- two chapters back, into that church comes what's described as the super apostles. I think uh, Paul is being ironic in this moment when he describes them as super apostles, also known as uh, sophists, um, real sophisticated oratory types, you know, Greeks who can stand at the front and present well and with big sort of Jewish influence. So they stand at the front, present well, and they present rules. And and Paul's beautiful grace-soaked church, he sees um, from a distance with his pen in his hand writing this letter, he sees that church and the, the humility and the grace and this simple gospel that he planted, he sees that appearing to this little vulnerable congregation as foolish because of because of the world, because of these super apostles that present in a different way. And he sees this church thinking uh, that salvation, that a journey with God is actually about, it needs your ego to kick in. It needs you to be a little bit more awesome and you need to head in a kind of more awesome direction and you need to present a little bit of a show of strength. And as he sees this storyline happening, he sees their chance to get to experience God as, he, as he's experienced him, uh, slowly disappearing. I would say that that little situation describes how it is so often, e- even as Christians, because of the because of the world we live in, because of the way it spins around, it it we're always needing to just we're always thinking that we achieve success by presenting more strength. Our egos, as Paul's is in this little section, our egos are constantly pricked and peppered by the world. They're always needing to. They're always tempted to grow. You know, there's always this burning wrestling match with our with our egos, and the chance I think often for us. I don't know if you've thought about this. Don't know if you agree with this. The chance to experience God 
uh, becomes vulnerable. And Paul sees this church that he's planted and he gives us, he just he just says two things. And he, it's really, I, so I, I need to, a confession, I don't, I said this to somebody the other day, I don't think I really liked Paul. I don't think I liked him. I kind of imagined that if I met him, I wouldn't get on with him. But as I've read through Second Corinthians, he has he's really grown on me. He he finds himself in a position here where he sees this storyline happening. He sees people really vulnerable to thinking that the only way to achieve success, even with God, is 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 through strength, through through your own strength. And he has to speak into it. So read with me um, the way that he speaks into it and. I'm going to try and share with you how I think, how awesome he is because, so let me just share, none, none of what he's going to do in the next little chapter is in any college Christian textbook that you're ever going to read. This is this is for you if you are, if like me, that you enjoy sarcasm. I know, is, is it sarcasm that is the lowest form of wit? I think, I think I've had that thrown my direction a few times. Paul gets sarky, he gets smart, he gets argumentative. Let me read out what he says to you, verse 16. Let me repeat, I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, just so just notice his tone, brilliant, notice his tone. But if you do, and Jude, um, as she read it the first time, I think, suggested some of this humour. And this and this attitude uh, that he comes across with. But if you do, then tolerate me, just as you would do a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, this is this is definitely not in the textbook. This little bit in this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. So it is. It's just really. Um, holding on to his humanity there or accepting his humanity there. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, here's the thing, here's the, here's the thing you're not expecting or you, you know you, you really shouldn't be expecting, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools. He's really having a go at them here, I think. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. Ah, notice the tone and the mockery. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you, or exploits you, or takes advantage of you, or puts airs on, or, and he sort of builds to an escalation point here, or slaps you in the face. This is what, whatever you would say about Paul, and here the odds are stacked against him, and here his issue is not being egotistical. Whatever you would say about Paul, he sees the gospel, he sees this story of his faith, this awesome thing that's happened to him, as something that he has got to tell other people about. He's got to share this. I think often we look at the circumstances that we're thrown in life and we think, ah, the gospel can't work here. I can't really share my faith here. I'll have to put it, I'll have to just do that on a Sunday. I would say, and I'm, I'm not trying to be sensationalist because I'm a, in Dara Yorkshireman in that sense. But I would say is there's a possibility, not a probability yet, but a possibility that in the next 50 years or so, it might be the case that Christianity is is a bit more segregated than it is now. Um, 
what I mean by that is it might be the case that Christians are told you can meet in a church, you can meet here, and you can say these kinds of things, and that is how you can be be Christians. And in some respects, that might already be our experience of Christianity. I don't know. One of the things that Jesus says, one of the things that we've really got to think about is that that, that is not it. Jesus says at essence, at core of Christianity, he uses expressions like salt and light. Jesus says Christianity is exactly the kind of thing. The experience at core of Christianity is exactly the kind of thing that needs to be in and amongst it. That needs to be out there where stuff is happening. And that's exactly what Paul did. Paul, Paul for all his faults, Paul for all perhaps some of the compromises that he made, he says, you're going to encounter me. I'm, I am going to be a guy who is encountered. So the first thing he does is he joins in the boasting, which we immediately think, sure, that's not quite the way. But notice this, the next part of the text, verse 21 through 30. He boasts differently. So read this with me. Whatever, and again, notice the, notice what I think almost borders on farce in the way that Paul comes across here. Whatever anyone dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And I love this. Not in a wink. I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more of a servant of Christ. He is entering into... Uh, the boasting wrestling match. And you can almost, in this moment, I think, see um, some of these leading figures in Corinth. I'm guessing that, or as I understand it, not guessing, as I understand it, that this letter would have been read out, you know, to the church. This, this letter's read out, and, you know, somebody goes, presents it all. I'm wondering if, at this point, if, if one of these um, sophisticated Greek guys is reading it out, or is, you know, they're listening at the back. But at this point, I'm guessing that they think, oh, maybe we've got him here. He's entered the wrestling match, and then we will win. I have worked, carrying on in verse 23, I've worked much harder. Been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the skit. It's a Monty Python skit, The Four Yorkshiremen. I can't ask you to nod. I mean, I can, but I wouldn't have no idea if you're nodding. A friend of mine, I don't know if he realizes he does this, but he posts it about once a month on Facebook, and I watch it pretty much every month. It's It has a it has a note of the four Yorkshiremen, the sense of farce that is in the four Yorkshiremen sketch. And I'm not going to, I'd love to throw a line at you, but I'm not going to do that. Listen, listen as it carries on. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. So remember, he, st he started off this little uh, paragraph by suggesting that he's going to boast. He's going to take him on. And listening to the way he's taking him on. He's taking him on by telling him 
just how much of a terrible time he's having of life. I have been constantly on the move. And this is, it really just blossom into pure farce in this moment, I think. think. Unless I'm reading this completely wrong, I think we're supposed to get that this is funny. That he's having a, a go and he's entering into this real debating wrestling match that's going on with these Greek, Greek guys. He says, I have been in danger from rivers. In danger from bandits. In danger from my fellow Jews. In danger from Gentiles. I've been in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have laboured and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I faced daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led to sin? And I do not inwardly burn. See what Paul does in this moment. This is, and I should stress this right at the start. This little, this little section that we've looked at, it's not a. We often, with Paul's letters, we just use them. We can be guilty of using them just as direct templates for life. We just pick it up and use it verbatim. We do that with a lot of his letters, and sometimes he's asking us to do that. And I think sometimes we've got to remember that this is a letter. Not to us, but to somebody else, but it's for us. So the way to the way to evangelize is not just to think that you need to be sarky and then tell a story about how bad your life is. Um, I don't think that will more work uh, with most people. It's not worked in the past for me. Rather than that, rather than thinking of it as a template, we should we should see the broader point I think Paul's making here some ways of thinking that become prevalent in our minds are barriers to us getting the gospel are barriers to us being to us being saved this word this is that's the word i would use um, for what's happened to me with god i would say that i am saved i am a saved person some ways um that we think in 2020 in our egotistical driven world i think i think our barriers to us really being seen and paul what paul does here with with i think his reputation right on the line with all the super apostles you know zoning in on him what he does is he lays bare every weak moment of his life so that so that the corinthians and those watching, reading in 2,000 years later, don't just think, don't just think, hang on, Paul wants to take a few of the rough edges off me. He wants me to look a bit more at God. That's not what Paul's doing. Paul tells this hilarious, self-deprecating, honest account of his life because he needs people to know that to be saved, they've got to realize that that salvation thing is none of, of, of their doing. It's none of their doing, and it's all of Jesus. That's what he says. This, this I think, is the crux of what it means to be saved for me. It, I could describe my 20-odd years of being a Christian as a slow realization 
that I that I can't save myself or a constant wrestling match of needing to realize that I can't save myself because I think the truth is with us particularly us Christian folk we all think deep down that we're the saviors we all think that it's our strength of character uh, that's keeping the family together we always think it's our inner drive that manages to put food on the table we even think as Christians that it's our good works really that save us I think one of the things that Paul helps us to see here or that we maybe just need to see is that thinking like that about life thinking that we need to keep up like that thinking that we need to keep presenting in that way is exhausting if we think that's what salvation is about we will at some point be wrecked we'll never keep it up and not only is it exhausting but if we think that salvation is like that we will be ruined by our big heads in the next couple of weeks and nobody will listen to us and nobody will think is worthwhile I think I think this is the reason that our faith story has got across in it I think this is the reason we have this what on the face of it looks like an odd horrific middle part of a book to convince people about a God where a guy who seems like a good man after telling stories for three years is put on a cross and beaten up because in in seeing that in being made to see that and in being made to observe it and realize that we play no part in it whatsoever and we are convinced we are forced to think about the fact that that is none of us this is why paul boasts like he does because he he needs he needs to present to other people and reaffirm for himself that this this thing called being saved has got nothing to do with how strong we are you see i think paul had learned something something more secure more empowering more comforting than than any ego boost could offer that was knowing that God God had him in all of his life every aspect of his life knowing that God had him in the worst moments of his life you could maybe think of it this is not this is not an awesome illustration in some respects it's a bit of an illustration from a 60s preacher guy but it's, it's what I've got it doesn't matter how Here's the illustration. Doesn't matter how high you can climb the ladder. Because that's, I think, ultimately what the ego asks us to do. It says, climb the, climb the ladder and climb higher than anybody else. There's a sense in which Paul realizes it doesn't matter how high he gets up that ladder. If at the bottom of it, there's nobody, there's nobody or nothing trustworthy. And he's realized that he's better off on rung number one. There's more security on rung number one if God's holding that ladder. And he is so secure that he can get to a place where with his 
his enemies, if you like, his bullies watching over him, ready to do away with him, ready to steal all his hard work. He can he can have them looking over him and he can be completely honest and open about the most vulnerable, weakest, most disappointing moments of his whole life. This is this is the security he, he sings about. This is the security he wants. He can look out at his life and he can say with real confidence, there's nothing that can touch me now. There's no terrible thing that anyone can find out that he can't forgive. There's no shameful past event anyone can bring up that God can't see and turn around for good. There's no future tragedy coming up in my life that I'm going to ever need to face alone because God has seen it all. That is his confidence. That is what he needs to get across to this church at Corinth. And that is, I think, so I don't, in this, I know that tomorrow morning I'll go for a run. And halfway around that run, my ego will kick in, somebody will run past me and I'll need that ego as I will other times in my life. But I think what Paul's realised, why Paul gets to a place where I think he's so confident and he can be so open, is because he knows, he knows that it's something better. Now you've got to ask yourself the question, I think. Paul is accused right the way through this encounter as being a fool. Who's the bigger fool? The person who climbs the ladder really high? Or the person who can face the worst that life can throw at you? Not only face it, but sing about it because of the confidence that he has. I'd just like to run through with you um, some of our summer takeaways. We have been uh, encouraging you to spend time over the summer just thinking through um, what that passage and what the service on Sundays means to you. Maybe during the summer you have a little bit more time for that. So if you have one minute this week, uh, just one minute, remember and take time to thank God in prayer that you are more secure in God's strength than any strength that you can muster on your own. And I hope that blesses you this week if you take one minute to do that. If you have five minutes this week, um, maybe a time with a brew or a cup, a cuppa, just to meditate on what we've been talking about today a little bit long. Why don't you write down areas where you feel weak in your Christian faith and where uh, you feel vulnerable? And beside each one, just score it through and just put, yet not I, but through Christ in me and celebrate the strength that Christ gives us when we depend on him. That's your five minute takeaway. If you have 10 minutes this week, just 10 minutes, we'd like to encourage you to read Psalm 3. It's a brilliant psalm um, and it talks about the comfort that God's strength uh, gives his people when they feel vulnerable. Read it through, meditate on it, chew it over um, and we pray that that blesses you um, this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, get in touch if we can help you with anything that we've talked about today.
um, and we'll hope to see you next week. God bless you. Bye now.